You're listening to Out Loud and Live with J.C. Alvarez. Retired NFL defensive back Wade Davis led our team to a touchdown goal when he came out of the closet. After sustaining a knee injury that took him off the field, Davis put himself back in the game as a leading activist and LGBT role model. With bullying still a growing issue even in professional team sports, Wade Davis discussed how he faced this adversity and still persevered. Settling ourselves into the dog pound inside the popular Hell's Kitchen Sports Bar Boxers HK, Wade Davis and I continued our discussion about his experience in professional team sports. Here now is the second half of my special interview with former NFLer Wade Davis. You hurt yourself and your, your career is, is um, prematurely cut short. Over. Yeah, that must have been a, 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 dramatically, a dramatic level of disappointment. It, it, um, when you are no, because I couldn't pass with a physical, like there's a Cybex test that you have to take where you, I couldn't straighten out my leg anymore so I couldn't pass a physical. And it's a sobering experience to think that something that you have been doing for so many years that has been such a part of your life will never exist in the same way. You know, and to be honest, like, I never thought I'd play in the NFL. Never in a million years. Like, I just, like, it didn't, it never, it was a dream, you know. No, I'm sorry, it was a wish. Wishes are different from dreams. Mm. Um, so when it was over, you know, the first thing you think about is like, what am I going to do now? You know, like, yeah, I had my, my degree and all, but once you start playing in the NFL, you don't think that you'll do anything else or that you'll have to, right? Um, I remember going back to Colorado, getting a job at Agilent Tech Technology, like, like managing um, at, at a call center and stuff like that. Um, but you just don't think that your life will, can ever be as great. You're like, oh, my, my life's going to be boring as hell forever. <laughs> and a lot of ways, it, it really is. And you have to figure out how you're going to reinvent your, mm. your, yourself. And, and I've been fortunate to do what I'm, I'm doing now. And in some ways, being gay, it was a benefit because if I had a, been heterosexual and stopped playing in the NFL, like, would no, anyone care about my, my story? Interesting. Uh, again, what a wonderful setup, Wade. He's <laughs> <laughs> so good at this. It's amazing. I try. I try. Well, it, it's. Um, I would imagine that at that point you must you must have thought um, there must be other people who must have felt the way I did. You made the decision. No, you did not. I did what was not this, think what was there the was a decision to coming out. Well, first I didn't even think there were other gay people like I really thought that I was like the only one or like maybe there's like one other one like like stuck somewhere else like I didn't know about all these like, I knew about Billy Jean, Jean King and Greg Louganis but in the quote-unquote masculine you know sports I didn't think there was other gay basketball football hockey or baseball players you know it just wasn't like I thought about so my decision to come out which was a long time after I got done playing mm -hmm. like so I think I came out in like 2007, in my mind. I, I didn't come out, I guess, to the world, but I moved to New York City, because where else do you move when you want to be, be gay, right? Um, so I moved to New York City. And I, if you and want I, a professional gay. Exactly. <laughs> I like this the is, professional This is where girl. you come. Yeah. So I moved to New York City, and I, I started dating. I was going to clubs, and no one knew who the hell I was. I was a scrub, so no one knew. And then I, I met a guy named Sid Ziegler, who runs a uh, website called Outsports. Mm. And... He got me to join the New York Gay Flag Football mm -hmm, League. Mm -hmm. And I started meeting other gay guys that like sports. And they were telling me how my story was inspirational, how me being an NFL football player was a big deal. And I was like, really? It's not that big of a deal. It's been years ago. Um, and then Cena kept asking me to write a story about me. I was like, no, no, no. Because I'm not doing anything important. Like, I don't think that there was anything about my story that was unique. I was like, okay, I'm gay, but I play football, but who cares? 
and then I um, started doing some advocacy work in, with LGBT organizations like Glisten and GLAD, and, and then I worked in, at Hedrick Martin, and then I started to see that I was doing work that was impactful, not because I was an NFL football player, but because I gave a shit, you know, about other people outside of my, my, myself. And then Sid asked me again, I said, if I can tell that story, if I can tell the story about the work that I do with young people to impact their lives and the ability to not only share my story, but to share theirs, yeah. that's a story I'm willing to tell. And that was a story that, that, that Sid told. And I think that that's why people have gravitated towards me, less about me being an athlete, but more about the fact that I'm actually doing something with the privileges that I have. After, after that moment, after, after you came out, uh, you have, of course, now the attachment of you know, NFL footballer, Wade Davis out, uh, gay player. Did you all of a sudden become aware of, of a community within the sports field that were other gay, gay players that were in the game and were kind of living the same life that you were? Yes, you, you know, you do meet other players who are retired or who may be current, you know, who, um, who will go nameless, but mm -hmm, who, mm -hmm. who are closeted or who work, work closet. And I have some friends now who are retired and are still still closet and you um, you relate to them on so many levels you know it's conversations that we have that no one else can ever have it becomes yeah. a very different fraternity all of a, a sudden a very different yeah. fraternity you know I remember when I um, had the privilege of speaking to Jason Collins when he first came out and just to hear the relief in his voice you know I know how that feels you know, um, for, for us to be texting back and forth and to make some snide remarks or funny jokes about something, you know, like <laughs> no one else can imagine what that oh, is Oh, that like. Jason Collins is a bitch, isn't he? He makes snide remarks. <laughs> oh, I, I got that from exactly. him. Exactly. No, no doubt. You know, that, that was in, um, in, current, uh, in, current, in our current gay history, if you would, that is a, was an incredibly momentous um, epic day when, when Jason Collins revealed his sexual orientation because he is actively playing in the NBA. Um, many people feel, or many people felt, you know, those of us in the community were very proud and, and how fantastic, especially as we're all fighting our, our current civil rights issues within the community. Um, do you feel that it was something that he was pressured into doing? Was it Jason's decision? Or do you think it was something that was part of the game? Do you think it was a, a, a maneuver from say his his coaches or, or the uh, or the not, I don't think his teammates but just the people in his circle I would call Jason um, someone who um, I wouldn't call his friends I would say we're friendly mm. um, but from what I know of Jason and the conversation that we've had Jason was ready mm. you know mm -hmm. I don't think that the majority of people who come out come out for anything but the fact that that they're ready you know um, and especially someone like Jason who who's a stand-up guy you know he's some He's someone that I think understood that, that, that our culture had changed, that we were having conversations in sports around homophobia. There were so many organizations, you know, trying to do the work to create safe spaces, you know, for athletes that, um, that, that, that we were at a precipice, that we needed someone of his statue, someone um, who was also an African-American, you know, to really change that conversation around 
what does being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender look like in sports and someone who, who could have those hard conversations. So I don't think it was something that was strategic or someone that was planned. Um, and that's just from our conversation. I could be 100% wrong, but from the stuff that Jason's doing now, the work that I know that he wants to do, he did it because he realizes that he can make a difference in, in a lot of people's lives. Well, he certainly, and all, all of you who we identify within this, the sports community, are changing the way, I guess, mainstream culture looks at our, at our sports players. And now, do you think that there is a, a new level of comfortability within professional sports for players to feel, I don't know, guess, I guess less intimidated within the, the, um, the culture in the locker room? Well, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm probably more of an optimist than most. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think that most athletes have always been there. We have just made these assumptions that be, be, because they play these masculine sports, be, because we deem them sometimes as Neanderthals, that we actually don't give them <laughs> the benefit of the doubt. You know, when, when I was in the NFL, I cannot remember hearing more than one or two homophobic re remarks. Mm -hmm. You know, and I played for, th for three different teams, and I was also in it for Europe. Now, I, I, I heard them in high school, yeah, because, like, you know, you have these guys who are understanding, like, who, who, who they are less in college and very little in the, in the NFL. But I do think that because we're having these conversations that other athletes are saying, you know what, how do I really feel about it? You know, I have a gay or lesbian cousin or an, or an aunt or a brother, you know? So I think that people are just more comfortable talking about it, which is different from when I was playing when there were no conversations around it. Like you, I, I agree that I, I like to feel optimistic that amongst teammates, there is, there is that we are a team. Family, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They're, they're, you know, you're all brothers, and you'll all be there when you're on the. You're on, when you're playing. You all have one-minded goals, and that's to function as a unit. And I and I don't think that there's ever. I think it's the fans that kind of, the fans of the game who create that sort of like, dodgy interpretation mm -hmm. of what happens. Do you think that having a gay player is going to deter fans or put fans in a in a very peculiar situation? Uh, for either not supporting a team or, or you know, creating odd situations at live games? I think it'll be, I think it depends on the sport, right? So for football, it's really hard for a, for a fan, you know, like let's say there's 10 people in the stands who are, have a problem with an athlete, like mm. there's nothing that, that they can do, you know. Um, I think maybe at a basketball game, you know, there's a potential that a fan maybe could do something that a player could hear mm -hmm. actually, but I think it depends on the sport. Yeah. I do think though that just like their fans who don't like a specific player, you know, because they think he's a jerk, maybe, you know, they still root for their team because mm. that's just one isolated incident. So I don't think that having a gay player would deter fans from rooting for an actual team. They may not like that actual player, but I also think that the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL will do enough to make sure that all their players feel safe um, and, and, and also to hold fans accountable. Right. You know, to make sure that they're not doing anything to make anyone feel uncomfortable, whether it's about their sexual orientation, their race, or their gender, or what have you. And, and certainly now this, this opens up a whole floodgate of, of players who, like you, love the game, pursued it into their college years, have lived openly gay lives as young people. Um, do you think that now professional teams will have an openness to accept these op already openly gay players into their ranks? I do. Um, I think that you never find an organization that won't 
take a player that can, that can make them better. You know, organizations are there to win championships and make money. You know, let's be real about it. So if there's a player who is the best pitcher in the country, you know, and, and he is an openly identified game, game male, it's not another team that's not going to draft him. You know, or let's say, you know, that, you know, take a Brittany Griner, for instance. Like, Brittany was, you know, to all, everyone knew, you know, who, who knew Brittany that, that she was a lesbian, you know, and Brittany really, she may, may not have, have like publicly, like publicly written about it, but everyone knew and she was still the number one, one draft pick yeah. because talent trumps all and yeah. organization called You Can Play that I, I'm, I'm on their advisory board and their stance is if you can play, you can, you can play. And I think that the most professional sports teams think about that. You had a really incredible opportunity uh, this past year to participate in the uh, HBO documentary, um, The Outlist. And um, when you see your story in the context to all of those role models, all of that diversity <laughs> within the community, when you see, how, how, do you, how do you feel being part of that puzzle? I'll tell you this, that was the first time I've ever watched myself on TV. <laughs> Out of all the other tens of twenties of interviews I've ever done, I never, I never watched myself. So that, to be forced to watch that being at the premiere was so uncomfortable. I was like, oh, I hate next to Lady Bunny. Exactly, exactly. Um, but it was one of those moments, it's been twice in my life since I've come out publicly that I've been like viscerally uncomfortable. That was one of those moments, you Ooh. know. Um, because first of all, really? I, by the time that that thing aired, it was like a year later, yeah. and I was like, what did I say? You know, like, I was like, did I say anything <laughs> stupid? You know, did I help someone? Like, what did I do? And when I watched it, I was like, oh, that was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but when you see yourself up there with Wanda Sykes, you know, and Janet Mock, and Ellen, and all these amazing people who, who you've looked up to, you know, and, and, and idolize and think that your name is being mentioned along theirs, and to think that your story can have impact on people's lives, you go, wow, you know, like maybe I'm doing something right, you know. Um, so I'm just trying to make sure that whatever, in whatever capacity that I can, that I keep doing the work that people are inspired by, that's impactful, and that people allow me um, to, to stay in their heart. To that note, you uh, do a lot of community work. You're, you're, of course, an advocate in our community. Uh, but you also do a lot of work with young people, mm -hmm. especially through Hetrick Martin. Um, how, how, how do you feel that you directly impact our young people on a daily basis? Wow, that's um, So let me be fair. They impact me more than I impact them. I mean, these young people that I work with are the most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. And I... My friends sometimes tell me they don't even rec recognize me because I'm so much more free with myself, my own gender expression, presentation, because they made me feel safe to uh, do that. But what, I, what I've learned from them is immeasurable. And I would say the way that I impact their lives is I show up. You know, I would say 90% of the youth that, we, um, that, that I interact with want someone to show up, to be cons consistent, um, to be honest, to be authentic authentic and to not be afraid like how can I tell a young person to exhibit courage you know and to be fearless if I'm not so I really try to model um, in myself what I ask them them to, to do and I also try to show up as ignorant as possible and judgment free yeah. so that I can soak in all the knowledge that they have because they are my heroes and my sheroes like the work that I do now and the way and the reason why I can speak about so many issues is because I listen to them yeah. you know and I've sat back and go okay like like what is what is, what is their lived experience, and how can I use the privileges that I have to hopefully create a space for them to exert their own power and strength, 
but also how can I make sure that um, that 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 I'm not telling their story in a way that, that doesn't honor them. Mm. Have you ever thought of returning to the game in some capacity? A game of football? Yeah. So when as I, a coach, when I as first <laughs> retired from the NFL, I had my old college reach out to me for me to coach. And the one thing about me is I'm a I'm a good I'm a good teacher. I don't know if I'm a type of person who can understand why someone can't do something. You know, like, and, and this is going to sound awful, and I would never compare myself to a bird or a magic or a Michael Jordan, but most great players aren't good coaches. They're mm. just not. You know, if you look at the really great coaches, they never were great players, and I'm, I'm not a great player, but I think I know the game well enough that it doesn't, I don't understand why people, why someone can't do something the way I could. Like, you can't do, do this. So I would like to go back in the NFL and do a lot of uh, diversity training, you know, and I, I have the, the, the privilege of, of working with the NFL in small capacities, but I would love to work with all professional sports leagues and say, hey, like, I was there, I've lived it, I've done it, I can speak to it on a cultural level, you know, um, on the intellectual level, to really say, hey, how can we erase the little space that does exist, you know, between, you know, the, the LGBT community and, and the sports community? But there's one big thing that I'm, I'm looking to do. Um, so when Jason Collins came out and I came out, I think it was very easy for us to be accepted because people still deem us masculine, right? So I can walk in out of a bar, a place, wherever, and no one accuses me or perceives me as being gay because of my gender expression or presentation, mm -hmm. right? But have we created the space where someone who's more effeminate pre presenting would be accepted in sports? Because mm -hmm. that's a different question. Mm -hmm. You know, for someone who, who may um, be deemed more feminine may not be as accepted because they bring up a lot of different issues because maybe there's type, type of things that I want to just discuss and maybe that they don't. You know, so I want to make, make sure that not only do we create space for masculine presenting males, but, but also the more effeminate ones and the same thing for, for females. You know, right. so I think that if, if you're a woman and you are a lesbian, you assume that you're going to be masculine presenting. But what happens when there are more feminine presenting females who identify as lesbian? Are they going to be as accepted? So to really nuance the conversation and pivot and, and make sure that everyone is accepted in sports and, and not just certain ones. Well, that's, that's certainly going to be a, uh, a door now that's wide open because now that dialogue is, is going to be changing. And I mean, even our Olympiads, when we, when we look at our Olympian players, um, there's, you know, they, we know who, we know as community members, we know who amongst the Olympiads are are um, identify as gay or, or and, and it's, and I do think that that, the view of our of our sports players are changing, but it couldn't have happened if it wasn't for the bravery of, of you know men like yourself and, and Jason you. Collins and and um, you know we we certainly owe a great deal of that. I owe a lot to to the community as well, so yeah. I, I I think it's very much a mutual relationship. Yeah, absolutely, Wait, Davis. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, brother. Oh, that was that was easy. Well, what did you think was gonna happen? No, but like I didn't have to tell you to go back and fix anything. That was that was easy. We're both pros. A very special thanks to our friend Wade Davis for getting out loud and live with me on this interview. And check out Boxers HK in the heart of Hell's Kitchen, located at 742 9th Avenue on the corner of 50th. Go to BoxersNYC.com for more information. Late Night has a new game in town, Overnight Happy Hour. Two for one drink specials, Monday through Wednesday, 11pm to close, only at Boxers HK. 
in New York City. Out Loud and Live is now also available as a podcast on iTunes. Send us your questions or comments to thrillseekerhq at aol.com. This is JC Alvarez, and you've been listening to Out Loud and Live. This is a Thrillseeker HQ presentation. Get in the HQ. Go to www.thrillseekerhq.com.